Alrighty, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, my name is Ross Barich. I'm part of the AWS uh, Developer Marketing and Evangelism team. I'm going to get off the stage really quick, but I just wanted to quickly introduce this session and also explain uh, this track. If this is the first time you've been in this room today, this is the Developer Community track. It's all, uh, all talks are led by community members, user group leaders, community heroes, uh, you know, uh, AWS enthusiasts community experts, there's no Amazon employees speaking in this track, so it's actually different from all of the other, you know, 1,000 sessions going on uh, this week at reInvent. So with that, I'm going to kick it over to Corey, and he's going to lead this talk. Corey? Thank you. Who here is, well, thank you. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's, that's <laughs> worth a clap. Okay. <laughs> Who here has read the open guide? Or parts of it, anyway? Okay. Who here despite varying levels of sophistication with AWS, still finds aspects of it arcane and confusing. If your hand isn't raised, I don't believe you. <laughs> so a little background, I've been a consultant for the last, uh, well, long time. I've been working with Amazon for just shy of a decade now, usually badly, which has led me to a lot of interesting places. Uh, I write a weekly newsletter that I'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but with respect to the open guide, I'm here because I didn't help start it. I came to it later in time. And I'm going to lead into a little bit of a story around that. I also have a bit of experience on the community side. I am the community lead for the open guide. I spent some time helping to run the Freenode IRC network back when that was a thing that people cared about. What you're going to see today is four distinct talks here. We're all part of the open guide in differing ways, and we realized when we were putting this together that there were a number of different stories that we could, be, that we could tell about these things. There are a lot of lessons that we took from working on the guide that we figured we could share back to the community. So you're really getting four talks for the price of one today. The first is going to be about stopping coding and writing, why sharing knowledge in a community setting is important. We're going to talk about how open source thinking helps shape different aspects of how we deal with these environments. We're going to talk about the underlying philosophy behind it. We're going to talk about the guide itself, the statistics, the details, how it works as an open project. Yeah, sorry about that. We're then going to go into how a story about contributing to the guide, how Manish wound up getting started on that. And lastly, I'm going to come back and talk about building momentum, how you take a project from something relatively small and start getting more attention and eyes on it. Feel free to talk to us at any point. We're all on Twitter. Please feel free to tweet at us if you like. You don't have to, but we can be snarky from time to time. Sorry in advance. So far, I'm Corey. You know me already. Next up, we're going to have Josh in a moment, then Thanos, and then Manish. And I'll be back a little later to talk a little bit more about what's going on. So without further ado, Josh Levy. Thanks, Corey. Let me ask you um, a slightly uncomfortable question, which is, uh, in your work, what is the most costly mistake you might have made recently? And, I, uh, and you might actually make it a little expand that, even think, what is it, what's the most costly mistake you've made over the last few years in your work? Now, I know a lot of, for a lot of us, specific incidents might come to mind. You're, you know, you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, there was that time I maybe should have asked before I deleted that S3 bucket with test in it. And uh, 
before I ran that script. Um, and some of those are easy things to think about, like easy, costly mistakes. But I, I actually think that it's interesting sometimes to say, well, let's think a little deeper. What, what are some of the, the ways we incur costs that are a little less obvious? So when you think about that, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got thinking about it myself. So I, I'm a startup engineer. I've worked in a variety of startups in search and AI over the years and led some teams on, on in software engineering teams in DevOps and in, in software. And um, a number of years back, I was working on a pretty complex enterprise server-side Java application and was just in the thick of dealing with some issue. An engineer on the team noticed some sort of uh, error that was not getting showing, showing up in the logs. And if you're on production engineering, that's a big deal. So you think about, like, well, how is that? What's going wrong? And, you, and I spent a day on it figuring it out. And I, I committed some code, and I, I sent it for code review, and it got pushed. The problem was solved, and I, I went home. It seemed like a good day. But then you get to thinking. It seems like I did my job, but what didn't I do? Because actually, if you look at that, the, the issue I fixed was something to do with some arcane detail of how Java thread pools work. And it was something that was applied, really applied to anyone. It's just we had been using these thread pools wrong, wrongly, and it wasn't working right. And I fixed the code, but I didn't do anything about helping anyone else understand that problem. So I had something that was useful. It was valuable to almost anyone who works with thread pools, which sadly is a lot of people. And, uh, and, it, and it also was perishable, because it was like something that was really complex and messy, and it took me a day to get my head around, and I didn't bother to preserve it in a way that I, would, I or anyone else would remember. And so in a way, I took something that was really valuable, and I just threw it in the trash, and I assumed I'd done my job by shipping the code. So I, that got to me to thinking, and so I, I think what I'd like to, to do is just to see if I can convince you that sometimes thinking about these errors, are, some of the costly choices we make are actually errors of omission, like things we don't do, rather than errors of commission, like specific things we're doing. And so uh, I, I'd like to convince you that at least some of the time, one of your most costly mistakes might be not sharing some of the knowledge and not writing it down in a way that others can, can benefit from it. So this is, a, this is not specifically applying to AWS, but AWS, it, it is very relevant to a lot of knowledge around AWS and topics like it. Now this, this room probably is full of people who, have, who as part of their job take care of critical systems and products where thousands or millions of people's time and, and, uh, and money and valuable data are, are taken care of by the quality of the engineering choices you make. And th th these, these problems are quite complex, and they're fraught with all kinds of pitfalls. And so it's very hard to share this kind of knowledge uh, in a day-to-day -day setting often. But one th thing that I really love is that if you really, anyone who's really technical, you start to realize, if you spend time with people who are, have a lot of deep expertise, you realize as engineers or as technical practitioners, we're kind of all on the same team. Like, we get paychecks from different companies, but if you sit down with an expert in ECS and you ask them questions about what are the best ways they find to use ECS, they're happy to answer your questions. Almost anyone at this conference is if they have deep knowledge. And I think that that's really because we, we get up in the morning to work on interesting technical problems and do good work, not specifically uh, only help one particular person or one particular team. And so. What I think it's helpful to think about, and this, this fed into some of the thinking that we put into the open guide to AWS, was that 
What are the things we tend not to write down? And those are really the sort of things that you would ask or discuss with an expert if you had a chance to get a coffee with them or a beer. And you're like, how is RDS Aurora working out for you? Or how is the migration to, from on-premises to cloud working for you? And you, you end up sharing kind of the knowledge that tends not to get written down. And so I often think that that's like something we just call like the coffee test. If it's the sort of thing you'd ask an expert over a coffee, that's a good thing to write down. A little more thoughts on just like what are those kinds of, uh, of, of information you should write down. It's, it's, it's really sort of the helpful things that are not the obvious stuff that you can find. And I think that we tend to write the easy things, which are like tutorials. Getting started, the first three easy things you can learn about this new service. And we don't spend much time, or basic facts, you can just look those up. Usually the docs are actually pretty comprehensive. But we don't spend a lot of time writing a lot, down a lot of the information around the facts. And so what we found really gets a lot of engagement and helpful feedback from people in the community is you write down things that are on limitations, cost considerations that you might not think of, alternatives, like maybe you think you want to use this solution, but actually you should be considering these other two or three. And especially gotchas. Like just the whole, this whole space is fraught with pitfalls where you don't notice the, the cost of a choice until months or even years later. And uh, one thing that when you, say, when, you, when you encourage people to write things like this is they're like, well, yeah, but that's a matter of opinion. I can't write about that. And I, I think that that's a really common misunderstanding, which is actually opinions are great. That's what you ask for when you're having that coffee or beer with someone who's an expert. But the, I have a kind of saying that I just like to repeat, which is that experts don't answer questions. If I went to one of you, say you know a lot about RDS, and I'm like, hey, should I use RDS in my system, right? You know, or should I, use, should I be self-hosting my database? You generally won't just say yes or no. What you'll do is give me the knowledge, the structure, and the way of thinking about it, so I make a decision myself that's right for my situation. And so that's the kind of opinion that's really helpful. And that's the kind of thing we try to capture in the guide, but I, I encourage others to write as well. So give people the framework to make their own decisions and write down that information. And it helps deal with this he said, she said, kind of like, worry about opinion. The last, the, the other um, thing about sharing knowledge I think is kind of interesting is, is, is if, you, if you tell people, they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I know I should write about and should like, like explain some of the things I know about particular topics, but, but I don't have time. And if that's not the objection, the other objection you'll get is, but I don't know how to write. And I think that if I've convinced you, if I've done anything to convince you that writing down some of the practical experience and knowledge that you have from being a practitioner is a valuable thing to do, there's two kind of specific hacks you can, you can use to, uh, to get around those two issues. The first is that you all know what a callback is in JavaScript or any other programming language, right? A certain condition happens, certain steps execute. So just install a couple of those in your head. If you're an expert in a particular area, you just have a lot of experience, around that particular area, just remind yourself, anytime somebody asks me a question about that thing I know so much about, or about that, or I'm like working on really this, this topic I'm working on hard, I'll just jot it down somewhere. We tend to use Quip. I think I recommend that because it has a markdown export feature, but any sort of like just place to write it. And after a while, you'll end up accumulating a set of notes. And that's how a lot of the things that I've worked on have gotten started to take forms is using this kind of trick. And if you have those callbacks in your head, you don't have to only have that many, 
one, two, three. But after a few weeks or months, you end up having an accumulation of knowledge around that particular topic that's, um, that's really actually can, can be among the, the most exhaustive or helpful little documents of its type that you can find anywhere. And so <laughs> that, that sort of solves the I don't have time problem, because all you have to do is just remember to install the callback in your mind. So it's, that, that's one trick. The other thing that um, I think is helpful when you say, well, I don't know how to write, is once you have that, those bits of details written down, it doesn't matter that the English is not great. It turns out that almost no one is really good at writing English well. There's the grammar, there's the organization, there's the punctuation, there's, what, there's all kinds of little details that just most of us aren't good at. Um, but you don't need to be good at all that, and that's okay. It's very easy to get help on that sort of thing. So if you start to write down, you've already done the hard part, which is the structure and the content, then other people can help you organize it, they can help you fix it. And we do exactly that on the open guide to AWS and other, other writings I've worked on, where you just say, well, let's get someone to help who really does have a great ear for English, or English is their first language, not their second language, or they just love fixing punctuation errors. There's people who are great at that, and they're almost always willing to help when they realize it's for a good reason. Um, so the, the last thing I would, I would leave that I think we leave you with, which I think is kind of interesting, just learning from watching and sharing some of the knowledge that we have with this, this, this resource, is that you tend to think that when there's an expert and a beginner having a conversation, that it's really the beginner who's getting the good deal. They're getting the better end of the, the, of the deal. And I think that we've seen this repeatedly, and we have a Slack channel where people discuss as well, and you see this a lot, where an expert talks to a beginner. And actually, that discussion is so much, so much better than just having experts talk or just having beginners talk. And I think it, as an expert, it's really important to remember how much you actually learn by explaining something that you thought you understood really well to a beginner. And one way you can do that is by sharing these kinds of documents and saying, well, here's my draft description of how you get started with ECS. What do you think about it? And um, you'll find you actually begin thinking about it quite differently just by having those conversations. So, so, so experts plus beginners are better than either one. So um, those are kind of, that's enough philosophy, but that's kind of some of the thinking that led to some of what we work on with this, this guide. And I, um, I wanted to give sort of the, the explanation of how we came to think that this was important. And I hope you'd be able to apply it, even if you're, whether you participate in our project or uh, in other open source projects, some of these same insights apply in, in almost any sort of situation. And you can begin writing on any other topic. So, so definitely, if you find these sorts of ideas about um, organizing and consolidating information in a helpful way useful, uh, I'd love to hear from you and talk with you, because I'm working on some more projects like that, of that nature. Um, but now to get more concrete about the Open Guide to AWS, um, I'll hand it over to Thanos, and he can actually tell you a little bit how we've applied some of this thinking to building a resource, which has um, applied a lot of these kinds of ideas of how we get a group variety of people to collaborate and share some of their knowledge in a, in a, in a helpful way. So here's Thanos. Thanks, Josh. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks again for coming. Um, my name's Thanos Baskus. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Open Guide to AWS itself. Um, I'm going to talk about both 
what it is, which it seems like a lot of people in the room know that already, uh, but just to bring everyone up to the same kind of level of context. And then I'm also going to talk about uh, what we try to accomplish with it and how we run it, uh, maybe a little more logistically speaking, what the, what the things we focus are on uh, and like what the goals are and how we accomplish those goals in running the project. Um, hopefully you'll take away some lessons in how uh, you can run your own projects or, uh, or approach uh, scaling uh, open source projects. So uh, my background, uh, I'm a software engineer and software architect. I've worked with AWS for about seven years now uh, from like early, early startup scale, like the first API call, all the way to um, many thousands of nodes. Uh, my focus has always been on, on architecture, on scaling, on performance, and on cost management. So that's where I'm, uh, I'm coming from. Um, so uh, this, this talk about uh, the Open Guide to AWS is not meant to be an ad for AWS, or excuse me, an ad for the Open Guide to AWS. It's meant to teach you something uh, about how to run one of these projects. So um, quickly, what it is. Um, so it's a practical living guide to AWS. The idea being, when I say living, what I mean is that it's something that is always kind of converging on the state of best practices that emerge from the consensus of the community. Uh, it's hosted on GitHub. Uh, and we leverage a lot of those features uh, in order to make it something that is living. So anyone who can kind of work through the, uh, the fork and pull request model uh, is able to contribute to it, and we encourage uh, contributions from uh, all types of practitioners. So uh, it has about uh, 200,000 readers uh, over time in the, in the year or so since we launched it. Uh, most, uh, it, as far as we know, it's the most popular non-Amazon uh, run AWS resource on the web. Uh, it has a large and active Slack community, um, which wasn't something that I expected going in, uh, not something that we'd even planned for. It just kind of emerged and has uh, turned into a very important facet uh, of the larger community. Um, so um, it covers dozens of uh, AWS services, uh, something that's harder and harder to keep up with uh, as, as the, the number of them grow. We're learning about a lot of them this week. Uh, it, it has links out to uh, to blogs and to uh, patterns and other documentation, best practices, that kind of thing. And uh, it's designed to be uh, by and for developers, admins, uh, operations people, and, and all types of practitioners. So uh, it's, it's definitely not uh, exclusive to any of those groups, and it's really meant to be something that the community itself builds. And we try to weave that thinking throughout how we approach uh, building the guide. So uh, these are a few features, and I'll try to uh, connect them through with how uh, they make it uh, a useful tool. Um, so uh, I, would, I would call the basics tips and gotchas that are uh, maybe the bulk of the guide uh, the, the backbone of, of the guide. They're the things that make an individual, uh, they make it a reference, right? Something that is worth returning to. And, and when you need to learn about a new service, that's like a great jumping off point. Maybe it points you into the docs or it points you uh, to some blog post or something else, uh, but they're kind of the seed. Uh, I would call out gotchas in particular as being both one of the most uh, useful things and one of the most interesting things. And so as we construct it, a lot of our effort in, over time has been in finding people who know the gotchas and feeding those, facilitating their feeding those back into the guide. It seems like it's, a, uh, it's something that everyone loves talking about, their war stories. Um, so uh, there are some things in the guide that are, um, that are not really present in the docs per se, like maybe they're spread out across the docs and you have to 
uh, if you wanted to do something like model the network costs of a new infrastructure that you were designing, it's really, really difficult to do by pulling things straight out of the docs because the information isn't really in one place, it's spread out. And so uh, we try to collect that kind of information and surface it in a way that's, uh, that's useful, that's pragmatic, um, and that maps onto reality, always converging onto it. Uh, there's a service matrix, that's, that's an easy jumping off point. Uh, if you know maybe uh, a set of technologies in one ecosystem, another public cloud provider, uh, or uh, in the open source ecosystem, you can kind of easily map across um, and say, okay, well, I know something about Kafka. What's the thing in the AWS world that's kind of like Kafka? It's not exactly, but it's enough to know where to start at least. Uh, and then it will, should say Kinesis, for example. Uh, there's a market landscape that is... Uh, uh, buckets of, of the most significant vendors that provide services in different areas that may be useful, another jumping off point. Uh, we try to make sure, uh, calling, going back to attribution, we try to make sure that we are uh, treating that as a first class uh, concept within the project. So uh, Josh wrote a very helpful tool that uh, kind of rolls that information up and makes it so that we are like very directly thanking the people who actually make it possible. There have um, been over, over 100 contributors to the guide and many very engaged people. Um, we also uh, try to make it clear how people can contribute. So um, I'll talk more about this as I talk about um, how we make this happen. So uh, this is that um, a blown up version of that. Uh, network cost diagram. It's something that uh, has proven to be very useful and has shown up around the internet since, since it was created for the guide uh, initially um, about a year ago. So what are the goals in running the project that we kind of keep top of mind? Uh, it's very important to maintain a high quality of content. We have to balance that against the needs of, of bringing the information in fast and also uh, the fact that uh, as Josh mentioned, maybe not everyone's uh, great at writing the content. Maybe they're, they're good at, um, at coming up with what it should be, but not framing it in the same voice and making it consistent with the rest of the guide. That's totally okay. We accept it, we clean it up, figure out a way to make it work, and we're, we're very high on our accept rate of pull requests overall. Um, it's important to us that we maximize the coverage um, of, of the guide, so we have initiatives to say, uh, you'll learn a little bit more about this, but like during reInvent, for example, get as much new stuff in there as fast as possible so that it is useful and again, converging on the state of reality. Um, so uh, we try to make sure that we maintain a, uh, an inclusive and supportive community that's across the Slack channel and the guide itself. We want to encourage people uh, of all skill levels, all backgrounds, uh, to join us, learn something, and if they have something, and, and also feel very welcome to participate and contribute themselves. Um, and then give credit. Uh, I talked about that a little bit, but uh, we try to make sure to, to weave that through everything that we do. So how do we accomplish some of those goals that I, I called out on the previous slide? So the Slack channel, I mentioned that it was not something that I, at least I personally expected to take off in the way that it did. It's got a couple thousand people in it, uh, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of messages per day, active rooms, and uh, lots of questions and answers uh, flying back and forth all the time. Uh, that's actually in itself a great seed for the guide, right? So we try to connect the dots, connect this back around and say, uh, when there's a really interesting conversation going on, uh, 
be very active and mindful of, of what's being said and what information is being surfaced um, and how it can feed back into the guide itself so that information is not you know, ephemeral or buried in the search of a, of a, of a chat app, but also uh, organized in such a way that it can be um, available forever in the, the GitHub document itself. Uh, we try to attend uh, community events and meetups and, and do talks. We're here at reInvent. Uh, we also do um, meetups in, uh, to, to do writing sessions uh, at AWS community, or at the AWS lofts. And uh, those turn out to be great uh, seeds for content. So we'll have a friend of a friend will, will join, and maybe they're not themselves interested in, in contributing to the guide or they don't have time, but they love sharing war stories. And so we'll collect those war stories and try to synthesize them into something that's useful and can seed a new section or add to an existing section. Um, there's, a, there's a code of conduct. That's something that uh, is is extremely important. Uh, I want to call it out uh, because uh, it's it's the thing that makes people feel welcome. Like we have to make sure that we know what what the guidelines are and the, and the rules of the road for the community and what's acceptable conduct. Uh, we use one from a site called contributor-covenant.org, um, but there are a bunch of them out there. You should do some research if you want to uh, use one of these in one of your own projects. Um, so contribution guidelines. Uh, that makes it gives a clear path to contributing. Uh, they're really guidelines and not rules, so we're pretty loose about how we implement them, and that's because we want to encourage encourage engagement more than anything. Um, we're a little bit lucky in that this is not code and it doesn't have to compile per se, right? It's pretty free form, and so we can kind of accept and then clean up and accept and clean up, and that's kind of the approach that we generally take. Uh, social engagement, uh, we actively uh, promote new content that enters the guide. So when someone adds a section, uh, we make sure that we're you know, tweeting about it and, and uh, you know, promoting the events that we're doing on LinkedIn so we can bring more people in. A lot of this is about, uh, I think we have critical mass, it's about maintaining critical mass uh, for the project. And then uh, attribution, again, calling out, extremely important to us that we're always giving people credit for the, the great work that they're doing. So I'm going to hand it off to Manish. Um, I hope uh, you learned something about how we run the project and can take something away from that as you go to run your own. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. And uh, thank you so much for attending. Uh, I am Manish Pandit. I work at Marketa as a director of platform engineering. It's a fintech startup uh, based out of uh, Oakland. Uh, California. So um, my role there is kind of the, the DMZ between engineering and, and, and DevOps. So Amazon kind of makes it a perfect fit because it is exciting as an engineer or as a developer as well as uh, someone who is coming from the, from the DevOps side of things. So one of the main missions of 2017 at Marketa is to basically roll out all the new uh, platforms and all the new systems and all the new uh, payment processing systems into Amazon because we have to look at disaster recovery and a whole bunch of stuff which Amazon kind of gives us out of the, uh, I mean, uh, as a part of uh, the service offering. So um, as a part of that, uh, 
Amazon or AWS is something which we had to learn from ground up. I've been working with Amazon for the last around five, five, six years, uh, but uh, as far as you know, the, the engineering team at Market was, it was something where uh, it was it was new concept. Not a concept from a cloud standpoint, but a concept of, well, I know what AWS is, how do I use it? Or what do I do with it, right? Where, which usage pa patterns can I fit uh, the cloud native architectures with? So um, I was kind of uh, in, in this process of making sure that my team has the right resources to catch up on Amazon, I ran into uh, uh, I ran into OGAWS, um, uh, the open guide, and this was particularly, I was trying to look for some AIM uh, IAM settings for uh, SQS. And the moment I landed on the site, I was like, why didn't I run into this before? Because the content and the language and uh, everything in there, the organization of the content was really, really uh, appealing. And I was really intrigued by the, by the sheer details, yet being pretty concise uh, nature of the site. Uh, and I immediately bookmarked it. I went home, and I decided that I'm going to look over it you know, before I go to bed or something, right? Just some late night reading. And the more I kind of started reading into it, I found an opportunity that, hey, maybe I can contribute to this guide because there are some sections which maybe I can bootstrap. There are some sections where maybe I ran into a gotcha which I can add. And the gotcha section is something which is very, very important, especially um, if you are kind of trying to put that technology into production. The gotcha section is coming from folks who have run into that, right? More often than not, it's either undocumented or it is documented where it's like a small asterisk somewhere, right? So, um, and uh, one of the things which we ran into at work was uh, a DynamoDB uh, IAM policy, um, which had to be put on an index, and we didn't do it, and that's why our, 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 our code kept failing. And then I added that as a gotcha, as a pull request. I was like, you know what? Let me share this knowledge with the rest of the community. And since I found this guide yesterday, let me try to do a pull request. And that was my first pull request, and it was approved in two days. So there is momentum. There is a lot of momentum on the guide. There is a lot of communication through the Slack channel, and it's a pretty open environment uh, for us to engage in. Uh, as I went through the guide even more, I found that there are some old services like SNS and SQS, and then there are some new services like AWS Batch, which did not have enough coverage on the guide. And by the way, the guide uh, also has a section called Issues, and in the Issues, there, is, uh, there are tags which say Help Wanted. So definitely, you know, those are the areas where we need, definitely need help um, from, from the contributors. But there were these new sections, and... Uh, I reached out to uh, my fellow panel members on, on, on Slack, asking them, like, you know, how about I start a section on SQS? Because it seems odd that OpenGuide is missing a section on SQS. And they were very receptive. They gave me a Quip template, which was used initially for cloud formation. And I used that as a template to bootstrap that section. And then we did a peer review, and then we did a pull request, and opened it up for the community review. So this is kind of like what the, what the Quip template looks like, and you can see the comments. It's pretty collaborative. You can look at the dates in there. Uh, the communication is fairly quick. The feedback cycles are pretty quick. And then if you notice the guide, this draft is now a part of 
SNS, and SQS went through the same cycle, and as did AWS Batch. Now, what about undocumented content? There is areas where Stack Overflow and Google fails us, and that is the times when you know, you, you're really stuck. Um, so for those times, um, how do I kind of add that to the guide? Because I can add, is, add, add it as a gotcha, but how do I know for sure it's a gotcha and it's not something which I'm messing up, right? So this was an interesting problem which I ran into because um, we use SQS a lot at Marketa, and uh, we have our Q, uh, we use fanout architecture, which is when um, a message gets fanned out on an SNS topic and it gets sent to multiple queues. Um, it worked great in QA, but not in production. It worked great in QA because we were not uh, encrypting um, our queues in QA environment, but in production, our queues were SSE um, encrypted. So it was a pretty interesting thing that fanout wouldn't work for SSE encrypted keys, and I could not find that on Amazon documentation. I could not find it anywhere else. Um, and it just wouldn't work. The fan out wouldn't work. So I didn't even know what to search for. Like, how do you search for something which doesn't exist? You know? So nothing worked. And then I kind of reproduced those steps. And I reached out to, um, uh, to Thanos on Slack saying that, hey, maybe there are people who are going to run into this. I want to add it to the guide. I just don't know how. And the feedback I got from Thanos was like, if you have a blog post, I mean, if you have a blog, Write a blog post, put the steps to reproduce it, and let's link it with the guide. So we went kind of like out of the box in this case on solving this kind of problem. So the point is that we are open, and we will find a way to get that information into, um, into the guide, because it's definitely something which uh, everyone should be aware of, right? Like, uh, you know, like Joshua said, you know, we, we, get, we get paychecks from different companies, but at the end of the day, we are all engineers and we share the same pains. So, um, and, and definitely, you know, after that, I was able to write, uh, write a blog post. I have a blog. Um, so I, I wrote a blog post and we linked it as a gotcha. And uh, we have a special kind of... Uh, uh, link uh, special notation for these kind of undocumented gotchas. Um, so on the left, you can see um, the, yeah, on the left, you can see, see the blog post. And on the right, you can see how uh, we linked uh, that blog post to this gotcha, uh, which, uh, which is listed under SNS fanout architectures. So uh, uh, in summary, basically, it, it, it is a really engaging and it is a really great platform for us as developers, as DevOps engineers, to share our learnings and at the same time gain a lot of insight before, uh, you know, kind of going full on into a technology. So um, either you are kind of scratching the surface of a technology or you are at the depth where you're running into these gotchas, the guide is extremely helpful. Now uh, I will pass it on to Corey, who is going to talk about how to build the community momentum uh, and how to keep it going. All right. Earlier this year, <clears throat> I started a newsletter called Last Week in AWS, which was aimed at solving two problems that I didn't thought 
they didn't think had decent solutions in place. The first was that there was such a torrent of information coming out on a regular basis from Amazon, about Amazon, things vaguely related to Amazon, and there was no good filter to distill that down into useful bites of information. The other problem was that I don't think people made fun of these things enough, and I thought I could throw my hat into the ring on that. One of the sections in my newsletter for a while now has been the tip of the week, where I point out a gotcha, a tip, a trick, something that is not generally widely known, and share that. The reason that this brought me to the guide was it became pretty easy for me to come up with things and throw them away, but there was no memory to it. It's, an email is a very ephemeral thing. People don't keep them to reference for years later. Conversely, when I started running out of ideas about week three, where would I go and rip off tips from other people and start including them in these emails? And the guide was a great solution for that. So starting a project is hard. If you can subvert someone else's for your own purposes, that's sort of how the entire internet was built. So let's roll with that. So last year at reInvent, a new service was announced to great fanfare. Uh, AWS Snowmobile that takes large quantities of data, shoves it into a trailer full of drives, and drives it to a data center. Uh, there, were, there were two categories of responses. The, that is ridiculous, no one will ever use it response, and oh my stars, that's exactly what I've been needing. I had a third level of response was of let me beep the horn, but that was neither here nor there. But would you believe that when I started working on the guide, there wasn't an entry on Snowmobile? almost like people didn't want to talk about that in the same way. So my first pull request was a one-line diff where I talked about the bandwidth of a tractor trailer full of drives hurtling down the freeway. And I submitted it, it was extremely approachable and easy to use. And then I got a response uh, that it was a little flippant, but they were okay with that. Yeah, I, I had to learn to moderate my tone to match the rest of the guide, but my problem wasn't the fact that he found me flippant, which, fair, it's the fact that he commented on it three weeks later. That was not exactly ideal. It turns out this is a common problem in a number of open source projects where you have pull requests that languish and languish and seas rise and fall and ice ages come and go. But it's not the sort of thing that a lot of projects think to put effort into. So I started tackling things around the edges. And the more I started digging into the project, the more I saw that there were a series of different problems that I could address. Um, for example, the Battle of the Oxford comma, there were heavy casualties on that. But, and for example, we also have over a thousand links against external sites now. It turns out that the internet changes as time goes on, and it's very difficult to keep those links fresh. So now on every pull request, we have AwesomeBot doing a run on the Travis infrastructure just to validate that links are still there. And we started trying to get things a little bit more streamlined and easy to contribute. Bias for yes, as when someone submits something, let's make that experience go forward. And you don't need to be an expert on all of these different technologies to be able to intelligently address these things. I mean, I don't know what a DynamoDB is, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask people. So it's one of those things where I don't chime in on things like that, but I do in areas that I do have expertise in. And the challenge here was getting other people involved, getting people to participate in this. And to do that, lowering the barrier for entry was essential. If you submit a pull request and get feedback on it within five minutes, 
Okay, you're still, you're still in context. You're thinking about what you just submitted. When I, got a, when I got feedback on mine after three weeks, it's, what's an OGAWS again? What, did I get drunk on New Year's and write code again? It was nice to be able to, oh, I have to go back and not have to re put myself back into a mindset of when I was writing a pull request of what I was talking about. And automation makes this easy, but starting to drive more and more people into the Slack team, make sure when someone shows up, they're welcomed. Hi, glad you're here. What brings you to this? Was something that just made people much likelier to contribute over time. Conversations sprung up, and I believe today we are the largest AWS-oriented community that isn't the AWS forum. So the call to action here that I really want to bring in here is that if you take a look at the guide, I'm still at a point where I cannot read the thing from start to finish without noticing something that needs to pull request on. It's my favorite plane ride activity. And then I go ahead and submit things, and then I don't hear back for a week or two, and then I start yelling at people, and then I start showing up at their houses, because it turns out planes fly everywhere. And we finally get movement on these things. We also have a Slack team that I just mentioned that is thriving, especially this time of year. For some reason, people are more interested in AWS than they are in any other week of the year. So it leads to a decent area for conversation, for discussion, yes, for cynicism and sarcasm, because that's my brand. But it does tend to lead to fascinating conversations in its own right. In fact, if you want a project this week, we have started a new channel called The Wheel. Yes, reinvent the wheel. Yeah, this is why I have no friends. But what we're doing is aggregating all of the tips and tidbits that come out of various uh, breakout sessions that didn't make the keynote. Uh, Thursday, for example, when someone's in a breakout session, they let slip, oh yeah, by the way, Amazon acquired IBM. Kind of surprised they didn't talk about that. It's good to know that th these things get caught and assimilated in the guide. When existing services get enhancements made, it's real easy for them to fly under the radar. Last year, for example, we wound up in a scenario where it was still not widely known that you could have 50 tags on a resource instead of 10. Little gotchas like that slip through the cracks. This year, we're trying to catch as many of them as we can, so please, Feel free to join, tell us we're doing it wrong, give commentary on it, give feedback, and if nothing else, it helps you understand, if nothing further, that you're not alone when you look at these things and find aspects of them confusing. We all do. It's just a question of how, which things we find challenging and which things we find simple. Get enough people together and a lot of these problems fall apart. Thank you all for listening. Do you have any questions for any of us?